Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to OSEAMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. Welcome to TLS Voices, an occasional series of readings brought to you by The Times Literary Supplement. I'm Michael Keynes. Two years ago, at the Royal College of Art, I heard a series of brilliant speakers talk about the work of Christine Brooke Rose. Work that has been described as difficult yet playful, late modernist or even too late modernist, experimental yet surprisingly, delightfully engaging. The convener of that brilliant RCA conference, Natalie Ferris, is now jointly responsible for setting up a society in Christine Brooke Rose's name, and I asked her to tell me a bit more about this remarkable writer and her legacy. I think Christine Brooke Rose's writing, and probably the most remarkable thing about her writing, is that it takes so many different forms. And this was something that she was kind of in two ways quite proud of, but also um, didn't do a lot of favours because it meant that she was perceived as quite a difficult writer by a kind of a, um, a popular readership. Growing up between Brussels and England, speaking English, French and German, these linguistic cross-currents were to feature heavily in both her fictional and, her, and in her critical work, grounding her with a keen and inventive ear for the commonalities of utterance. This aptitude for languages prompted a position translating decryptions of the Enigma Code at Bletchley Park during World War II as a young WAAF intelligence typist. As a young woman barely in her 20s, Brooke Rose affectionately describes Bletchley Park as her first university, regarding those years as formative, pressing upon her one of the most significant realizations, coming to see language itself as formed of strings of interrelated code, analogues of meaning, items which cross and mesh to build a vast powerhouse of knowledge. In the 1950s, Brooke Rose wrote novels that could be seen as conventional comedies of manners, although she also produced, in 1960, The Dear Deceit, a novel in reverse that preempts Martin Amos's Time's Arrow by some 30 years. A period of illness followed, with unexpected results. During uh, this period of convalescence in 1962, following a kidney operation, um, she claimed to have attained a, a kind of a different level of consciousness, which she characterised as a sense of being in touch with something else. And the solitary hours confined to her to her bed produced the highly wrought novel Out um, of 1964, which was inspired by the French nouveau roman writer Alain Rob Grier. And using the present tense to evoke the consciousness of its elderly protagonist, Out sort of enacts a world out of time and out of place, 
the colourless victims of a mysterious radiation sickness are objects of discrimination. She never again wrote a novel that didn't offer, uh, first to herself and then to her readers, some breach of the realism contract. This itself possibly became the point of contention for her and her readership, as the literary critic Frank Commode, uh, who was perhaps her greatest champion, wrote actually in the TLS in 1963, uh, not for the English, the sophisticated epistemology of the new French writers. And so her novels thereafter did things with language that kind of were unexpected. Following the breakdown of her marriage to the Polish poet Jerzy Petrkiewicz, she then moved to uh, a volatile Paris in 1968 at the invitation of the feminist critic and writer Ellen Sissou, take up a post teaching linguistics and American studies at the then the kind of new experimental Université de Vincennes, uh, Paris 8. And this introduced her and put her into close intellectual contact with colleagues such as this theorist Jean-François Lyotard, um, Michel Foucault, and Jacques Derrida, but also with the work of innovative French writers such as Julia Kristeva um, and Philippe Soler of the Telkel Group. So in, in 1968, um, within between, Brooke Rose represented the kind of the experience of the modern day simultaneous interpreter. So in, in one of her most ambitious novels, language is, is dealt with, with this kind of multitudinous aplomb, um, kind of cross-cutting between 10 different languages. I mean, and much of the novel takes place uh, during a plane journey um, where the body is sort of is, is too floating in space. And I think Brooke Rose was sort of was very interested in this in kind of a, situating herself not only within space, which she comes to do in her later novels. I'm thinking about the, the kind of the intercom quartet, which was the novel, the Malgamemnon, Zorand or Verbivore and Textamination, concerned with the threat of, of, of kind of uh, the, the displacement of the old and um, the re-situation of the self within new technologies, new languages, new discourses. But there's also this sense of kind of replacing the reader within the novel so that both reader and writer are kind of co-conspiring uh, to create a narrative. Um, and Brooke Rose is very, very um, enthusiastic on this point that the reader too should have a kind of a stake in the creation of the literary work. It now seems that a new generation of readers is discovering how to appreciate Brooke Rose alongside equally experimental mid-20th century contemporaries such as Anne Quinn and Anna Cavan, B.S. Johnson, Bridget Brophy and Eva Feiges. Perhaps that's a comment on the current state of the literary landscape. Her prose is also playful and really very funny. You know, her novels product kind of literary pretension. Derrida is cramping his stylus in Through of 1975. Um, in Zorandor, the novel of 1986, the pebble Lady Macbeth attempts to blow up the world. And in Text Termination of 1991, famous literary characters gather to pray for their continued existence in readers' minds. In any case, it's undeniable that Brooke Rose's work stands out and has its own distinctive style, as can be heard in this extract from the late autobiographical novel, Remake. The old lady sits at 72, feeling 60, 50, 40, in a bureautic study overlooking the orchards and vineyards and wooded hills and lavender plateau. There is a word processor and printer, an electronic typewriter and a Xerox machine for the file of life. Why is the old lady trying to intercept all those interceptic messages? Old age self-indulgence? No. The old lady's publisher has asked for an autobiography. But the resistance is huge. The absorbing present creates interference. 
as well as the old lady's lifelong prejudice against biographical criticism, called Laundry Lists by Ezra Pound. Only the text matters, if the text survives at all. But the insistent request has needled the interception. In earlier days, the image would have been more of a brain tossing in a laundrette machine, a sort of brainwashing, often by mentors, or a man hoovering. But mentors come and go. There are no mentors now, except John, reaching craft ebbing through Freud by means of a magic Adler from the Klein Young. John is not easy to please, nor Eagle neither, and seems to have elapsed after all. On the roof is a vast dish, pivoting like an eye-ear to capture the news of the world in English, American, German, French, Spanish, Italian, Polish, a monotonous variety of nation-centric views. All the other programs are alike, intermediocre, just as there are only four species of apples now, standardized tastes, that is, none. A wheel of fortune, Glucksrad, the candidates doing all the work, cheaper than paying professionals, even with the prizes, cop films and violence, and long amortized soap, old slices of life and fragmented scenes flung together, no dialogue more than two sentences, today's attention span being about 30 seconds, just like life. Some feminists, the old lady remembers, insisted on both flux and fragmentation as female specificity in art. Perhaps such feminists were reared on soap. The old lady also wonders why American soap is always about the very rich, European soap always about doctors and lawyers and journalists, and English soap always about the working class. Perhaps only the workers watch, now there is no work, or only organized stupefying work requiring organized stupefied leisure. But the dish is not for that. The dish is for watching the journalists provoking pseudo-events on the square of the high popper news and the political behaviour of the participating public, so unaware of being manipulated for profit and crowd-controlled in the best 30s tradition. For the first time in the old lady's life, there is all the time in the world to watch the world, a world never watched before, not as professor, not as literary journalist, not as student, not, of course, as WAAF officer, a world totally strange, though so familiar to all the rest of the world, watching the world in blaring, bearing, uncaring, despairing detail. In verse, as in prose, Brooke Rose had her own distinctive voice. Today the acupuncturist. Today the acupuncturist found my Achilles heel above the right fourth toe. His electric pin sang E-sharp minor through my left side in, the mount of Venus to the north pole gland below the chin. That is the meridian of the ghoul. I feel at peace with all those cosmonauts and all things turning in their orbits, with speleologues and deep-sea archaeologists and with the sphinx of Egypt. I will confide in no psychiatrists. I feel Chinese, grain mouth, rasts of Achilles shed to make ships go like doves, like thoughts, and reason Rachel die in giving birth to love called Benjamin, all with a little pin and me too tired to move my right fourth toe. That poem was published in the TLS in 1963. Five years later came one of Brooke Rose's key works, the linguistically freewheeling Between, written entirely without recourse to the verb to be, and in a hyper-awareness of language's arcane possibilities, as if words fraternised, as she put it, silently beneath the syntax, finding each other funny and delicious in a mishmash of tender fornication. Here's Mika Ross-Southall reading from the first page 
of Between. Between the enormous wings, the body of the plane stretches its 120 seats or so in threes on either side towards the distant brain way up behind the dark blue curtain and again beyond no doubt a little door. In some countries, the women would segregate still to the left of the aisle, the men less numerous to the right. But all in all, and civilization considered, the chromosomes sit quietly mixed among the 120 seats or so that stretch like ribs as if inside a giant centipede. Or else inside the whale, who knows, three hours, three days of maybe hell. Between doing and not doing, the body floats. To the right of the fuselage, the enormous wings spreads back quite motionless on the deep blue of the high sky, the sunlight quiet on the dull shining metal, the jet exhaust invisible in their power save for a tremor against the blue or the propellers invisible in their speed save for a hinted halo, no cloud, and from this seat no reef of nature, no man-made object passing to show that the plane flies immobile at 830 kilometres an hour, height 12,000 metres on a sheet of paper handed over the back of the armchair, in front by a black hand above Bordeaux, with outside temperature minus 42 degrees. Inside, they have pressurised the comfort. The people sit hidden in their high armchairs, but for a few head tops, bald, fluffy, blonde, curly back between the port and starboard engines, looked after, cradled in their needs. Eat, drink, smoke, talk, doze, dream, and didn't catch what you said. That curtain up there between us and the first class, it reminds me of a tabernacle. The TLS once called Brooke Rose a theorist novelist, and indeed she has an association with the paper going back to the early days of her literary career. Published in 1956, The Lunatic Fringe was the first of Brooke Rose's many contributions to the TLS. It is a poem about being on the fringe of madness, and its fascinating metaphysical imagery shows how she was already pushing the boundaries of the familiar and tangible at this early stage in her writing career. The poem can be seen as training for the experimentation of her novels, where, as she puts it here, she really gets into the mad world. The Lunatic Fringe Have you ever felt madness behind your eyes, cold as a draught from a forgotten door? when you are talking intelligently to those who think you sane, poised, and perhaps a little more brilliant than that flask of liquid brain allows, that honeycomb filled with the drugs of bees out of a season's hearts, then drained by the insomniac, insolent machinery of love. Madness, like shame or rage, is not hot, as they say, but like a stylus needling in a groove to some loudspeaker at a distance of about God's nearness to us, which for the lunatic is close, as his own brain that sometimes runs away into an ocean of prehistoric fish, long playing to the beak of a bird and amplified in, maybe, sex. I must get into the mad world now. There is a secret in the lunatic fringe, a way of impinging on God without mock heroics of spirit, when the soul is anyway lost, given up with awareness, generously as a gambit in life's deadly conversation with death. There then can be no remorse, only the cold closeness of creation, a white filament of matter through the brain, ejaculating from generation to generation, like Lucifer falling. It's now 60 years, in fact, 
since Brooke Rose's first publication, her version of the Anglo-Saxon poem, Pearl. So let's end where it all began, with this idiosyncratic response to literary tradition, to the task of translation that would preoccupy her for much of her writing life. So this is an extract taken from the poem Gold, first published in 1954. Mercury molten to matter prime, ebbed of elements of earth and air, wilted of water and fire with time, consumed in sulphur, salt and flare, arsenic, ammonia in ardent slime, mingled in metals, menial, air, of qualities as quack, quicklime. Admire the method which mortals dare to think shall thrive in gold so rare through seasons of a secret span. Admire the method which mortals swear transmutes the memory of man. This week's TLS looks at how Beethoven's music responded to the tumult of the French Revolution and the ensuing Napoleonic saga. Michael Hoffman reviews a new translation of Bertolt Brecht's bungalow-like love poetry. Carolyn Duttlinger on Franz Kafka as a boy. We have new poems by Stanley Moss and Anne Rouse, and much more. To find out more about the TLS and to read a free selection of pieces from this week's issue, go to our website, the-tls.co.uk. You can read the TLS in full every week in print or via our app, which is available on iTunes and in the Amazon App Store. The TLS. Life in every word. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.